We're in chapter 12 of 1 Corinthians. And as we begin, this section starts another big topic. We'll take three chapters. Remember, the uh, Apostle Paul is writing back uh, to many questions that the First Corinthian, I mean, Corinthian church has written to him. And this whole section of starting with chapter 11 to all the way to chapter 14 is about problems that they faced in public worship. Chapter 11, as we remember, was about a um, woman wearing head coverings. The cultural thing, the principle was actually the headship and the equality of men and women together. And the last time, uh, two weeks ago, before our anniversary Sunday, we learned the meaning of the Lord's Supper and Apostle Paul's admonition, heartful admonition, about how to correct the problems there. And starting with chapter 12, he is going to delve into spiritual gifts. And if you remember from the beginning of our series, the context of Corinth was just extraordinary. In some sense, it's much like a California because California is open to spiritual things, especially in postmodern world and spiritual, even the new age things as well. But the church is open, wide open. I think the West Coast churches, uh, in spite of difference of denomination, are much more open to free worship and experiencing different things during public worship as opposed to very uh, stale worship. In some sense, the liturgical service in the form of godliness for the empty hearts. Uh, of course, I'm generalizing, but East Coast is not dead and the West Coast is alive. But the danger of this free worship and openness to spiritual things is much like Corinthian churches. So there are about three or four things that we need to know as a context first before we give heed to Apostle Paul's teaching. And the first one is the Corinthian Christians' pride. Because the Corinthian church were experiencing so many spiritual gifts, extraordinary, out-of-this-world gifts, and the, all kinds of supernatural phenomenon were happening during public worship. And it is without no TV camera, without manipulation, without some people coaching what to do, the healings were happening, spoke, speaking in tongues, uh, some people had this prophecies in the middle of the service. So nothing but boring stuff. The problem, though, they were prideful in that. In their own eyes, they were spiritual. They were actually very uh, arrogant about their experiences. Number two, the confusion is they brought 
their emotional baggage and spiritual experiences from pagan religions, idol worship. And idol worship was notorious about this strange thing and music and loud sound and in kind of kind of way that uh, the atmosphere that brings your spirit and soul onto the next level of that. Hysteria sometimes. From outsiders, it could be horrendous thing, but the people who have experienced that, it was something real and something supernatural. So they brought this in, and thinking that part of what they have seen and experienced, it just better over here. This is a real thing. They're confused. Third, and because of that, it makes sense their obsession was not on really building the body of Christ, concern for others, but it is about how can I get and experience supernatural miraculous gifts, starting with healing and spiritual uh, speaking in tongue and interpretation of speaking in tongue and the sign gifts. Just imagine that. Their gatherings were creating this rumblings, buzz, but at the same time, chaos. The people who are self-absorbed and people who wanted limelight in their own uh, supernatural gifts, in a way, the selfish, a very immature way, cutting other people off and singing their psalms, and, uh, all kinds of things were happening. So no wonder they have written to Paul. Paul now opens up. But it's interesting that how Paul approaches the always, he doesn't go to the symptomatic things and give practical how-to answers first. He always goes to the root and the undercurrent things and the foundations, which is theology, basically. How to think clearly about God, about the Holy Spirit, about Jesus the Lord, and the spiritual gifts given by the triune God. The question that we're asking is very simple this morning. What are essential truth or foundational truth about the spiritual gifts do we need to know so that our perspective is corrected, our attitude is focused, and that we are really enjoying and growing vitally with the spiritual gifts. Here's the first one. The validity of true spiritual gifts is in the work of the Holy Spirit who illumines the Lordship of Jesus Christ to each believer. That's kind of loaded. But the main point is before he opens up the practical guidelines, he comes up with the role of the Holy Spirit. Who the Holy Spirit, what 
his primary role is. Look at verse 1. Now concerning spiritual gifts, brothers, I do not want you to be uninformed. You know that when you were pagans, you were led astray, astray to mute idols, however you were led. Therefore, I want you to understand that no one speaking in the Spirit of God ever says Jesus is accursed, and no one can say Jesus is Lord except in the Holy Spirit. Concerning the spiritual gifts, that word uh, in verse 4, spiritual gifts, are two different words, but typical English translation uses the same word. It's more concerning the spiritual things or spiritual people or spirituality, true spirituality in other words. I don't want you to be uninformed, and he's uh, offending big time here, because in their own eyes, they were the spiritual people. And I don't want you to be uninformed. You have this background, but I want you to know the first foundational truth, how to discern whether that spiritual gift came from the Holy Spirit or not. Negatively, test number one, anyone with the gifts given by the Holy Spirit cannot curse Jesus, and positively, he or she will submit to Jesus as the Lord of all. So we have this cultural gap right now. When you say, when you hear the words like, no one can say Jesus is Lord except in the Holy Spirit, my non-Christian friends will jump on that. Okay, I'm going to say it right now. Jesus is Lord. What's the big deal? In our culture, even the Lord and servant, they don't, we don't even have a concept of sovereign, king. Right? So Lord, the word Lord is very foreign. And to, to really say, cons, consider conf, making a confession Jesus is Lord doesn't mean much at all. But in the first century, when Caesar was equated as God, and to declare that Caesar is the Lord is same thing as saying Caesar is God, to whom we belong, that we follow you. And on top of that, there's a pantheons of Greek gods, right? The Greek, Greco-Roman world. So anyone to say that I'm follow this. God, goddess, either you know Artemis, or you you say Jews, there's my king, my lord. That was not only just a saying of verbatim things about your beliefs, but your devotion, but your determination to submit to that their to their lordship. So, and Christians couldn't. Deny the fact that we cannot say Jesus, Caesar is the Lord. That became a big, big political problem. Many of them were persecuted and died 
because of that. So for them to say, here, Jesus is Lord, is not just the words, but it's in heart. Jesus is my God. Everything I have belongs to him. Jesus is my king, my God. And Apostle Paul is saying, no one can say without the work of the Holy Spirit within the person. So, in a way that there are people in the leadership of the church, in the uh, even healing ministries and on TV, in true heart, when you begin to see that person really doesn't submit to the Lordship of Christ, whatever the gift, whatever the strength that person has, is not from the Spirit. That's what Paul is saying. In some sense, it, it's scary to us because many people who would attend church Sunday after Sunday with lip service of Jesus is Lord and sing songs of hymns, but in heart, Jesus is never the Lord. And Jesus has never become a center of their life, ever. That person is not of the Spirit. Now, that person could be very popular on TV, on New Age movement, on talk shows. And that person can function really well as a very dedicated member of an organization or church for that matter. Why do you think that's important as Paul lays a foundation? We need to discern. There are things that are coming from the evil spirit, demonic spirits, as well as the Holy Spirit. Notice verse 2, you know that when you were pagans, you were led astray to mute idols. Some versions will translate that as dumb idols. It has mouth and ears and they can't do anything because it's dead. It's, it's not real. But and yet, however, you were led, you were led astray. It sounds like a contradicting statement, right? They can't even talk. It's nothing. But you are astray by them. Why? Idol doesn't exist. But the evil spirit does. The evil one, Satan, the demonic spirits does. Use that. So, oh, how I long to see that our people, people of Crossway, is beginning to make confession, full heart confession, that I used to live my life, and Jesus was taking along, really helpful, and sometimes really bothersome because I, my conscience is bothering because of his principles. But most of the times, he's special to me. He's very useful to me. In true spirituality, 
Jesus is the center. Jesus is the Lord. Jesus is Lord of everything. Not your money, not your kids, not your bank account, not your career, not your ideology, but Jesus is the Lord. Number two essential truth is about the origin of the uh, spiritual gifts. But uh, as I'm meditating on this, and J.I. Packer, and some of you guys, after the message, start reading Knowing God by J.I. Packer. Great. I, I just delightful to hear that. I wish more of us could grab that book and continually study and meditate on that. The same author, J.I. Packer, um, writes briefly about the Holy Spirit. And this is very helpful to me. The book is from, uh, the quote is from the, in the, in the steps with the Holy Spirit. And he writes, the Holy Spirit's distinctive new covenant role then is to fulfill what we may call a flood, floodlight ministry in relation to the Lord Jesus Christ. When floodlighting is well done, the floodlights are so placed that you do not see them. You are not, in fact, supposed to see where the light is coming from. What you are meant to see is the, just the building on which the floodlights are trained. The intended effect is to make it visible when otherwise it would not be seen for the darkness and to maximize its dignity by throwing all its details into relief so that you see it properly. This perfectly illustrates the Spirit's new covenant role. He is, so to speak, the hidden floodlight shining on the Savior. Or think of it this way. It is as if the Spirit stands behind us, throwing light over our shoulder on Jesus, who stands facing us. The Spirit's message is never, look at me, listen to me, Come to me, get to know me, but always look at him and see his glory. Listen to him and hear his word. Go to him and have life. Get to know him and taste his gift of joy and peace. So when we are Gifted by the Holy Spirit, same thing will happen. The attention is not on us. We become, along with the Holy Spirit, floodlight that illumines the glory of Christ, starting with the Lordship of Jesus Christ. Back to the second essential truth. The origin of various spiritual gifts is a triune God. The Holy Spirit, the Lord, the Son, and God the Father. There is no other passage in the Bible 
that describes the Holy Trinity is so clearly, glaringly apparent. The word the Trinity doesn't appear in the Bible itself. But Paul, even, even in his subconscious level, that he is thought life is always about triune God, the, the activity of triune oneness in diversity of three persons in one God. Verse 4, now there are varieties of gifts, but the same Spirit. And there are varieties of service, but the same Lord. And there are varieties of activities, but it is the same God who empowers them all in everyone. And having followed Apostle Paul in in Romans and other, other passages, we know that the, he doesn't waste words. Everything seems to be so intentional. There are three parallels here in when he says there are different types of gifts, but one same Holy Spirit. Okay, gift, Holy Spirit. Second one. There are varieties of service. Service in the same Lord, meaning Lord Jesus. Service and Lord Jesus. Third one, there are varieties of activities and the same God who empowers them. Well, actually, Paul is talking about the same thing in a three different angle. So this is, this is it. When you think about spiritual gifts, it's not about you. It is actually service to Christ. Of course, you're welcome team, you're on the welcome team, you're serving people. But the people are the body of Christ. They actually, in, in, in actuality, ultimately, everything that we do at, in the body of Christ, our service is ultimately for the Lord Jesus. Our activity, empowered by the, by the God the Father, is actually the Spirit's gifts that we have received. So three other same thing. So as much as Corinthians had to change their skewed mind about the spiritual gifts as something they could boast about, I, I think it's the same thing as the Californians. We have so many things going on. I, I don't know how many of you taken different types of personality tests, you know. So my confession here, okay? I'm an INFJ. All the tagline that I say is the rarest kind, less than one percent of population. <laughs> That's what I am. So with that mentality, we don't we don't have the baggage is from idol worship, pagan worship. When we come in in church and people talk about spiritual gifts, I gotta, I gotta have something sh- sh- to 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 good enough to show. So what happens is in our modern churches, tons of people are passive and become spectators, 
The only people, people who are extraordinary, those, one of those people who could just be on stage only, singers, preachers, and dancers, all these people only, instrumentists, are on stage. Everyone else is, oh, I don't have a spiritual gift. I don't, I, don't, I don't know. I don't think I'm good at anything. So listen to this. The Holy Spirit has given us the spiritual gifts, gifts of the Holy Spirit. Lord Jesus commands us to serve the body of Christ and ultimately Him. And God the Father said, activities that you will have in the name of Christ, I will empower them. I'm going to save what I really want to say until next Sunday because he's going to elaborate more on the body life more. Number three essential truth is the purpose. Purpose of spiritual gifts is manifestation of the spirit for the common good of the church. So images we have, America, America got talents. And then you just did it. And then even, even the you know, Facebook posts, and it's all that. Uh, he didn't impress the judge until he opens his mouth and starts singing. And da, da, da. The common good of the church is why the spiritual gifts are given to us. Verse 7, to each is given the manifestation of the Spirit for the common good. Let's take that, just dwell on that a bit. Manifestation of the Spirit. As a non-Christians, as unbelievers, people can have strength, and it's still God-given, and talents, but the spiritual gifts are different in, the, in a sense that Holy Spirit reveals himself, his work, on that activity, on that strength, used by Spirit's empowerment. Holy Spirit reveals that God's work is there, in other words. We become partners with the work of the Holy Spirit. Not for us to feel that, oh, I'm good enough. My self-esteem is kind of pushed up a little bit these days. No, for the sake of body, for the common good. To, to use a, um, Ephesians language, Ephesians chapter 4, verse 12, St. Paul, he writes, this time he gave, is the son, uh, Jesus Christ, to equip the saints for the work of ministry, for building up the body of Christ. Let's go back there again. To equip the saints, not, not the pastors. Saints, meaning you. Meaning all believers. For the work of ministry and the purpose for the building up the body of Christ. 
So there is a saying, a slogan at, at Crossway. Every member ministry. We have a ministry that is not the staff-driven ministry. We have a ministry not the core only, the 10% or 20% who does all the work of the church. Our vision is to see every member ministry. Every member has a ministry. And you, you might forget a lot of things. And the challenge that you really need to take at the end of this service is to think about every member, every member ministry. I belong to this church. What is my ministry? And you should think about what is my spiritual gift. Not in a self-obsessive, analytical, my strength, obsessive type of search, but looking to the common good of the body of Christ. So unlike the Corinthians' confusions or myth and ours as well, the spiritual gifts are not about us. As a matter of fact, when we are controlled by the Holy Spirit, the best state of our service is we are self-forgetful. We don't watch ourselves singing, watch ourselves preaching, watch ourselves setting up the chair, watch ourselves talking to a kid in kids' ministry. Selfless, self-forgetful. Because when we begin to really see the work of the Holy Spirit as a floodlight ministry, when we are filled with the Holy Spirit, we will go along with His desire, His passion. Of course, we need to encourage one another. But seeking for recognition will hurt you. That small tinge of motive, mixed motive in you and in me what makes us become disillusioned, cynical, and negative. In the same way that seeking the spiritual gifts in the, this also too. Uh, statistics tell us, it, it's uh, no surprise, all the pastors' number one desire is preaching, communication. Now I'll second that. Whenever I see eloquent speaker who seems to kind of without thinking much about the eloquent way of saying it, it flows out of them. To me, I practice some words at home. I come here, I get tongue-tied, and I get so embarrassed. I can't even say the word. But if our focus is on the common good, on Jesus Christ, and glory of God, we could be forgetful about. Who cares about Paul's mispronunciation?
In the same way, I think you should think about what hinders you. Oftentimes, it's not a, others. It's us, our self-consciousness, our reservation, self-protection. Just imagine in the middle of the night, you know, your baby need to change, you need to change a diaper. You're working on another kid. Your husband is, uh, I, I don't think I have a gift of the, <laughs> I, I'm not good at it. You're so good at it. It takes me so longer. So when you see the need, when you see the pur common purpose, you need to repent and go do it. So when we look, look to the needs of the body, when we begin to serve without analyzing our effectiveness too much, Christ gets the glory and our strength and our spiritual gets improved. Here's the last one. Essential number, tr number four, truth is the recipient of various of spiritual gifts is every believer given by the Spirit as he wills, as he determines. Verse 8, 4 to 1 is given through the Spirit the utterance of wisdom, and to another the utterance of knowledge according to the same Spirit, to another faith by the same Spirit, to another gifts of healing by the one spirit, to another the working of miracles, to another prophecy, to another the ability to distinguish between spirits, to another various kinds of tongues, to another the interpretation of tongues. All these are empowered by one and the same spirit appoints uh, apportions to each one individually as he wills. Before you look at the very obscure list of uh, miracle gifts, let's pay attention to obvious first of a coming I'm sorry, verse 11 first. The key point to remember, is that the all true believers have one or more gifts given by the Spirit as He decides for us. Which means you and I have at least one gift. Usually it's a multiple <coughs> mixture of gifts. So, uh, there are miracle gifts like... Uh, Gift of healing, gifts of healing, and another working of miracles and prophecy. In general, I'm going to mention, uh, next week we'll go into the more details. But in general, I'm going to mention this today. There are some who believe and view some gifts like this are temporary. Uh, typically, it's called a cessationalism or cessationalist. Uh, in other words, it ceased to exist anymore. And there is a the reason, the 
primary reason and logic behind that is like this. Apostles represented the authority of Christ. And they needed the miracle powers to prove back up, along with the Messiah, that his miracle gifts also too, uh, the power also too, to validate the authority. When the New Testament has accomplished, concluded, the revelation has been done, so there is no further need for these gifts to support the validity of their authority. It makes sense, right? So simple enough. You know, a lot of churches believe that. Our churches don't. So we, we believe what, what's called a uh, continuationist belief. Continuation is, I believe that all these miracle gifts continue to exist by the working of the Holy Spirit until the Lord comes, returns. The simple, simple reason for that is this. When you look at the New Testament, Jesus did miracles and apostles did miracles. But it wasn't limited. Their miracles and signs and wonders are on another level of it, but it wasn't limited to those special people. The regular, ordinary people had a gift of healing. And they had gift of prophecies. So when you think about the working of the Holy Spirit, I think that the confusion is this. Whoever has the gift of healing is he or she has the momentary power to heal the person at will. No. That will be set aside for Jesus, the Messiah. The apostle shifts of the spiritual uh, the signs and wonders. But in, in, even in the, the old New Testament era, it wasn't every time. It, when the Holy Spirit wills, that person will be healed. And even, even nowadays, there are people who seem to experience, whenever they pray, whenever they continue to have this faith to believe, the person, person gets healed. But that doesn't mean that automatically that person has a spiritual it's oxymoron to call someone healer because the gift doesn't belong to him or her. Gift belongs to the Holy Spirit. Whatever he decides and he wills. A prophecy. Prophecy in the sense that God's revealed word and authority, no one can touch it. We don't have that. Therefore, in that sense, there's no apostleship the spiritual authority of apostles like Peter and my, Apostle Paul and John, we don't have that kind of thing. But prophecy, in a way that when, when uh, Apostle Paul was trying to go to Jerusalem, Prophet Agabus tied him and, and predicted, he prophesied, Anyone who goes to Jerusalem will become like this. In other words, don't go. You're going to face persecution. And there will be a famine. Those things, are, I will elaborate late, later, but today, let me just conclude it this way. The locality of it, in this locale, and that person can be discerned, and whatever he prophesies, 
may not come out to be true, but as we discern. It's not the same as authority of the scripture. No way. But there seems to be people who have clear discernment and, and confirmation and, and, and even the assurance of this is of the Lord. So having said that, another word is prophecy is not only foretelling of the future. In the, New, the, the Old Testament concept, a lot of times it was foretelling God's word. So some cessationists use that prophecy as a preaching gift. As, no, not, not so much of that. But at the present situation, that person speaks in, in, to you. It sounds like affirmation of a leading of the Holy Spirit and affirmation of God the Father. Having said that, we need to set them aside we, lest we become like Corinthians who are obsessed with the visible gifts only. There are so many things in our church we need to practice. Because we are to dis- discover. How do you discover? By the way, let's define spiritual gifts. The late Ray Stemmen in his book, defines a spiritual gift this way. Spiritual gift is a capacity for which, I'm sorry, a capacity for service which is given to every true Christian without exception and which was something each did not possess before he or she became a Christian. That doesn't mean you don't have the you didn't have the natural talent. The, for example, the the list of nine spiritual gifts is not never complete list. And if you go to Romans twelve, First Corinthians twelve, Ephesians four, and First Peter four, these are the four chapters list those spiritual gifts. If you put it all together, maybe twenty one, depending on how you count it, twenty two. And even 21, 22 is not complete list. Why? Because the need of the church, the body of Christ, can be different. John Stott mentions prime example of Wesley brothers. John Wesley is famous and known for evangelists who could preach and who could go one city to the other and organize. His brother, Charles Wesley, not so good about anything. But you know what? A lot of hymns, thousands of hymns he wrote become a lasting hymns in our hearts. Some of my favorite hymns is written by Charles Wesley. That is the gift of the Holy Spirit for the common good of the church. So that's why I mentioned David uh, having just passion. What does that got to do with it? If David has passion and he wants to lead this you know, team world vision thing, if David didn't step up and I'm going to say, Don, sorry, next time. Bless you, brother. So David is using this passion and gifts and Holy Spirit is working on it. Some of our brothers come early and they have gifts of help. 
help is there's so many different kinds of things. They might not really good at smiling at people welcoming, <laughs> but they don't, they don't quit on being faithful, setting up the banner, setting up the table. There are brothers and sisters who bring their own food to set it up, to become hospitable. The, those who are people who are working with children, it's not because it's just their mom only, but they love children. They have passion to dream about our kids growing in faith. And some of those moms, and you know, we have growing up, I mean, the, the teens now, and then I heard that there's going to be gathering at Chang and Linda's place because they opened up their house. How do you discover the spiritual gift? Not by taking tests. And I used to do that. I used to actually lead that kind of workshop. <laughs> but by trying things out, you see the need, and you try, and you build up the body that way. And when you are good at it, there will be affirmation. Even the teaching gift, there are so many different ways that you could do. Some people are so good at helping and teaching one person. Some people are so good at facilitating discussion. discussion. Masterful. Going through Exodus study, I've seen that gifts many times. And some people are good at standing up in front of people, really exegete the passage. Of course, there are different types of gifts. But how do you find out? You roll up the sleeve. You don't become spectator. You pray that God help me make a difference at our church and beyond our church. So that's why we say Bo and Cindy are not separate entities and missions agency. They are the extension of a crossway ministry in East Asia to the unrich people. May God help us as we become active, out of, out of our comfort zone, not become self-absorbed about our strength, so much limelight on us, but along with the Holy Spirit, we seek to illumine the glory of Jesus that others will begin to see the changing agent is not my own good will, but the Lord Jesus who changes and transforms me inside out. And to that end, will you join me in building up this body and this culture that seems to be more and more rare? Let's pray. Father, we are so grateful that you gave us blessings along with the spiritual gifts through the Son, our Lord Jesus Christ, and by the Holy Spirit who walks with us and within us to prompt us to teach us how to do it. And we pray for our church, our little church, 
that you will use it for your glory. And I pray for every single person who is sitting in this room that Holy Spirit, you will nudge them to take their eyes off from their own self-attention, self-focus, to you, Lord Jesus. And because of our love, our growing passionate love for you. We pray all these things in the name of the Father and of the Son, of the Holy Spirit. Amen.